Ah, good morning. I love Sundays. So good to be with you and to see you on Sundays. Before we get into the message, a couple things. One, one of the most asked questions I get as a pastor is, what will eternity be like? Well, we're going to be talking about that this Wednesday at our midweek service as we're almost done the book of Revelation. So for any of you that are interested in finding out what eternity will be like, come join us at 7 o'clock this Wednesday night. We're in a series called Made to Multiply, going through the book of 2 Timothy. We saw that the foundation for this series was actually the great commission of Jesus Christ at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus, before he ascends back to heaven after he was resurrected, said to his disciples, make disciples of all nations. And then he says this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The reason I want to bring that up today is because I know many of you have expressed an interest in baptism, and some of you may need to be baptized. You have maybe never been baptized after you gave your heart to the Lord, uh, and that you need to be baptized. It is a step of obedience. It's for anyone that truly wants to follow the Lord and be a disciple. That's one of the first steps is baptism. So, if you are interested in being baptized, or maybe some of you even want to be rebaptized, that's okay too, then please uh, meet with me after one of these two Sundays in September, either September 19th after the service or September the 26th, okay? I'm going to offer two Sundays so that if you can't make one, you can make the other, because I need to meet with all those who want to be baptized either after the service on the 19th of September or after the service on the 26th. Now some of you are saying, but when is the baptism? The baptism is going to be Saturday, October the 30th. Saturday, October the 30th at 2 p.m. We will let you know more details as it gets closer but I wanted to start talking about that even now so that some of you could make arrangements not only to be there on Saturday afternoon, October the 30th, but you could either mark off the 19th or the 26th so that you can meet with me in order to be baptized. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Made to multiply. God not only saved us to mature, to grow, and not only saved us to serve or to minister, God saved us in order to be a disciple and to make disciples, to multiply ourselves into the lives of others. And Paul and Timothy is maybe the greatest example of that kind of a, of a symbiotic, if you will, relationship where you've got two Christians who are led to come together and connect with each other and fit together and do life and ministry together. And out of this relationship, out of this friendship, out of this connection, uh, there is mutual strengthening, there's mutual encouragement, there's mutual support, there's, you know, iron sharpening iron, 
There's all of this taking place within those two people. And every Christian should be in some kind of relationship like that. Doesn't have to be the same person throughout your life. It doesn't have to, you know, fit a certain mold. But all of us should be in some type of relationship like that. Even uh, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, two is always better than one. Because he says, if one falls, there's another one that can pick him up. And, you know, two, two can do more than, than one can. So it's always good. And you, Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. It's always good to have that companion, if you will, that you can do life and ministry and, and the Lord's work with and follow the Lord together. So, so that's what we're talking about here. And it's also about leaving an impression and an imprint upon other people's lives. And we're going to be talking more about that in the weeks to come. But what we're going to look at this morning is this. Paul is giving Timothy, this young pastor, some really important things, not only to remind him of in his life as he follows the Lord as a disciple, but to pass along to his people in his congregation, okay? So again, Paul's not just expecting that what he's saying to Timothy is going to stop with Timothy. It, Timothy's just a channel, and he's going to then share all this with, with his people as well. And there's four things that I want us to see in this passage, and they all relate to being a disciple of Jesus Christ and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Because each of these needs to be part of our life as a Christian if we're going to be a disciple and if we're going to be involved in making disciples. And the first one is be strong. Notice what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 2, verse 1. So you, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong. It takes strength to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It takes strength, God's strength, to make disciples. You and I can't do it without his strength. But I want to go back before we get into that a little bit more to that first phrase, you, my child. It's sort of another phrase that Paul's using to try to describe this relationship that he has with Timothy. Timothy is not his literal physical child, okay? Timothy is, has entered into this place in Paul's heart, and he's, he's a family member without being a family through blood or marriage, okay? That's really what Paul is saying here. He's saying, Timothy, God has brought us together, and, and I look at you as, as I do a dear family member, even though we're not related by blood, well, maybe the blood of Jesus Christ, and we're not related through marriage, which is how you and I almost always think of family, right? And yet we know that the Bible teaches that even as Christians, we are to look at ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll say it this way. Hopefully you have somebody in your life like this as well. There are some people throughout our life that we have such a connection with and that we are so close to them that even though we are not related to them by blood and even though we are not related to them through marriage, they're like family to us. That's what Paul's saying here. And that's part of what you will enter into when you enter into a relationship like Paul and Timothy did. They're family 
You look at them that way. They're that dear to you, even though they're not officially family. That's why Paul says to Timothy, so you, my child. But then he says this, you need to be strong. And this isn't just a one-time thing. This is, Timothy, you as a Christian need to continue to increase your strength as you go further and further into discipleship. You can't just be strong and then just forget it. No, you've got to continually allow the Lord to empower you and to receive your strength from God because you cannot live the life of following Jesus as a devoted follower apart from his strength. You can't do it on your own, Timothy, and you need to share this truth with others. And what happens in these discipleship-type relationships is, is both in those relationships, Timothy encouraging a Paul and Paul encouraging a Tim and Timothy to not do life and ministry and anything in our own strength, but to always be relying on the strength that only God can supply, a supernatural and sufficient strength that is going to be strong enough to carry us through no matter what you and I face, whatever challenges, obstacles, opposition, and all of that, we all need the strength of God. Paul here was in prison at this time, awaiting execution. He needed a spiritual strength, and he needed an emotional strength, and he needed a physical strength, if you will. And we talked about that. Don't just define strength here as simply a spiritual strength. It's an emotional strength. It's a, a mental strength. It's a physical strength. It can be all the things that we need to be strong in, but the important thing is that we recognize that we cannot be a disciple or make disciples in our own strength. It is only through the strength that God supplies that we can be a disciple. And then notice Paul says this, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. First of all, it's all found in Christ. It cannot be found outside of Christ. And Paul reminds us that this strength, this, this increasing strength, it only comes by his grace. Well, then that triggers us to something else. The Bible says that God rejects the proud, but gives his grace to the who? Humble. Humble. You see, so let's back up. I need God's strength in order to be a disciple and make disciples. But the only way I'm going to receive that ongoing continual strength is by living by his grace. And what it means to live by his grace is that I need to always be living in humility, recognizing my need beyond myself, not living independently of God, but living a life of dependence and reliance upon him all the time, realizing I can't do this on my own. God, I need you all the time. And when we approach God in that humble manner, when we approach him under that umbrella, if you will, of I'm a needy person, God. I, I didn't just need you when I became a Christian. I need you every moment of my Christian life. When we live in that grace, if you will, then God continually pours out his supernatural and sufficient strength. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, 
By the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul said it was only because I was a big enough man to admit my need of Jesus every day that I have become who I have become. It wasn't because I, Paul, was so great. It wasn't because I, Paul, had enough strength in and of myself. It was because I leaned into God hard every day. It was because I relied and learned to depend upon him every day. And when we humble ourselves before God in any and every way that we can express that humility, God more than pours himself. But when we come to God basically in, in our pride and say, God, I'm going to handle this on my own. I, I don't need you, God. I, 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 can, I can do this without you then God will not force his grace upon us. God will not force us to live by his strength. God says, fine. You want to do it your way? You want to do it without me? Then fine. You live life in your own strength. I will not pour out my grace. So that's a multi-layered thing here, but it goes back to be strong. And again, when you and I are living in that mutually strengthening relationship that we can have with another Christian, then we will each be encouraging the other to be strong in the Lord. Let's not forget to lean into the Lord and to depend upon him and to rely upon him and to humble ourselves before him and allow him to pour out his grace, which then makes me strong. But then verse 2, Paul says, not only be strong, he's saying to Timothy, be wise. And teach your people in your church, Timothy, to be wise as well. If, if I had to, to categorize uh, chapter 2, verse 2 of 2 Timothy, this verse alone would be what I would call, using what we hear today, discipleship for dummies. Th this, in essence, is what discipleship is all about in one verse. In fact, if there's one verse in this book, that really sort of boils discipleship down and it's all contained in one verse, it would be 2 Timothy 2, 2. So follow along with me. Paul says, And entrust what you heard me say in the presence of many others as witnesses to faithful people who will be competent to teach others as well. You see the link there? It's sort of like each of us is a link in a chain. And, and really, this chain then goes back 2,000 years. That 2,000 years ago is when this whole process of discipleship started, where Jesus poured himself into 12, or should I say, obviously, 11. And then those 11 poured themselves into others. And then the ones they poured into, poured into others. And there was this continual chain of things being passed down from one generation to another that has led us to this point today. Somewhere along the line, somebody shared Christ and, and faith with us. And now it is our responsibility to pour ourselves into others to keep this thing going until Jesus comes or until he takes us home to heaven to be with him. But the reason I put these words, be wise, in front of this verse 
is because I want you to see this with me for a moment. First of all, at the beginning of the verse, you don't really get this in the English, but Paul is saying to Timothy, do this now. Don't delay. Don't procrastinate. So one of the things that Paul's bringing up there is all of us only have so much time in our year, our month, our week, our days. We only have so much time on earth. We don't live forever. All of us have a finite amount of time to work with in our life. So Paul right there is sort of putting that up front, which is why then he says this. He says, so when you have an opportunity to pour your life into somebody else or develop relationship with somebody else, realizing again, we're talking here about quality of relationships over quantity, because today we live in a world where, you know, people want a million friends and a million likes and all this, and it's really more surface and superficial. It's not really quality relationships. It's more, everything's got to be quantity today. Jesus is all about quality over quantity. You get more in the long run with quality relationships than you do quantity relationships. And because we only all have just limited time on our hands, we don't have time to build deep relationships that really make a difference in our lives or in other people's lives with a ton of people. Jesus modeled that for us. Even as the Son of God, he only took 12 to begin with, and even out of those 12, there were three that he really poured himself into, Peter, James, and John. Jesus is showing us by his own example, you can't do this with a lot of people. It's got to be just a few quality relationships throughout your life. And then Paul gives him this instruction. When you're investing in someone, when you're building these type of relationships, here's who you look for. What's it say in verse 2? Faithful people. He says, don't just, again, because we've got limited time. You, you, you don't want to entrust and invest your life into un faithful people. That's going to cut out a lot of Christians right there. Because guess what? That's really the bottom line of where it all starts. You got to be faithful. You and I have to show that we're reliable, that we're dependable, that we can be counted on. That's why I shared with you a couple weeks ago, I know you're counting on me, but I'm counting on you too. Because you can't build a church you can't build a community of believers with unfaithful people. You can't do it. Just like you can't build a business or anything in this world that's worthwhile with unfaithful, unreliable, undependable people. Let me ask you, you work somewhere. Would, would your business or your place of occupation, would it be okay if you just showed up every once in a while when you felt like it? No. No businesses and anything in this world, you, if you're an employer, 
You're, you're wanting people that you can count on and rely on and depend on and people who are self-motivated, people that you don't always have to be on their you know, back to, to do just to show up to work and to put in a good day's work every day. You don't want that, right? Well, guess what? That same principle is true in the spiritual realm as well. And Paul's saying, when you and I look for those that we can connect with and ever, if we're a faithful disciple, then we need to look for other faithful, reliable, dependable disciples. And here's the thing, folks. This is what's so amazing about our God. That has nothing to do with our skills, our abilities, our talents. Anybody can be faithful. All you have to do is show up. All you have to do is make yourself available. It's, it's not like it takes some superpower to be faithful, you see. And so Paul is saying, be wise about who you invest in, who you spend your time on, who you pour yourself into, because you only have so much time on earth. You only have so much time each week and each day. So make sure that the people you're investing in are faithful people. And then he takes it one step further and responsible people because he says you need to see in them a willingness and ability to pass on what you're pouring into them that's what he says in verse two it's a very simple thing it's just can we get christians if you will to buy in to what god's process of discipleship is and trust what you've heard others say to faithful people who will then in turn be willing and able to just pass it on and share it down the line so that we continue to be these links in the chain that remain unbroken, that it's just one right after the other. And so he says, be wise. Be wise with our use of time because our time is limited. We don't have unlimited amount of time. So you can't just do this with everybody. You've got to be discriminatory as to who you partner with. And that's what Paul's trying to get Timothy to see and to pass on then to his people in his church. Be wise. Be wise. Then, be understanding. Notice in verse 7, Paul says, Think about what I'm saying, ponder on it, and the Lord will give you understanding of all this, the ability to connect the dots, if you will, the ability to comprehend what I'm saying. And Paul says, he uses three examples here that really are descriptive of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, an aspect of discipleship, and the kind of things we need in our life in order to make disciples. One is we need God's strength, be strong. Another is we need to be wise about who and what we're investing in and make sure that we're making the most use of our time and, and investing and pouring ourselves into the, the right kind of people, if you will. And those that aren't faithful, just keep calling them to be faithful. Then once they're faithful, God will have the right people for them. But it starts with faithfulness. That's the foundation of discipleship. You and I don't even get to start on the road of discipleship if we can't even show that we're reliable and dependable and faithful. That's where it starts. But then he goes on to say, here's more. 
Be understanding about these things. And the first thing is, verse 3, take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. A warrior. He's basically reminding us that even if you and I never were part of military service for our country, like many of you were, you know what it's like to serve in the armed forces. You know what it's like to be a, a warrior and a soldier for your country. You have a better understanding of that than, than I do and others do. And yet God says, but I want you to understand something. As my disciple, you're on a spiritual battlefield. And you're in a spiritual war. And you are a soldier of Jesus Christ. And you need to come at your discipleship and making disciples with that mindset. It's not going to be easy, just like being a soldier is, is not easy, right? It's hard, Okay, it's demanding. It takes everything that you've got, but you've got to understand this is a worthwhile war to be in because it is a war for the souls of human beings. It, it is a war for the well-being of human beings, and it's worth being a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So notice verse 4. No one in military service gets entangled in matters of everyday life. Otherwise, he will not please the one who recruited him. I'm just going to use the, the one description, and then I, I, want, I want you to see how that's tied to this person that Paul's using as the example. The first one is a soldier. And I want to especially highlight the word in verse 4, entangled. Soldier doesn't get entangled. Are we entangled in too many things in this life in order to be the disciple that we could be and in order to make disciples? Entangled. And I'll say this. Sometimes what is good becomes bad when it robs us of what's best. Let me repeat that. Sometimes things that are good become bad when they rob us of what's best. See, for most Christians, it's not making choices that's between something good and something evil. That's clear cut. But where many Christians have a struggle today is they get entangled with things in the world and even sometimes good things. If it's just left on its own, it's good. But is that good thing then taking up the time that you could be investing in things that are better, things that are even more worthwhile, things that have to do with the kingdom of God and with eternal matters rather than just these things? And to me, that's where the real struggle with men, and here's why. Because we live in a world unlike at any time in history where there's so much to do and there's so much to get involved in. And every day we could be running after this and that and we could be allowing ourselves, even if we're unconscious about it, to sort of get entangled with things. And then we don't have the freedom because we've been entangled with things to really devote ourselves and focus on the things that are really important, the best things. So again, good things can become bad things 
when they rob us of the best things. But then he also says, be understanding of this. Verse 5, if anyone competes as an athlete, he will not be crowned as the winner unless he competes according to the rules. So verse 4, soldier, entangled. Here, verse 5, athlete. And then I want you to look at the word winner. Paul is saying, Timothy, we as Christians are to run to win. In fact, he even uses that phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, I think it's 9. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 or 25. Paul says to the Corinthians there, run to win. Don't just run to be in the race. Run to win. Keep the goal in mind, you see. Keep what you're running there for. And, and unlike other races where we're competing against other people and only one wins, here Paul is reminding us throughout his words that in the Christian life, and especially when it comes to being a disciple and making disciples, we can all win because we're not competing with each other. In a sense, the only competition, the only thing that's holding us back is ourselves because all God wants to see is that we're willing to pour out all of our God-given potential and to just be all in with God and to run the race to win, not just to be in the race, you see. To make sure that we're getting out of the life that God has given us, that's a gift, everything that we can. I've heard so many Christians over the years say, oh, I'll just be happy that I get to heaven. That's all I care about. I'll, I'll just be glad I get there. That's not running to win. See, God saved us in order that we might not only grow and that we might not only serve, but that we might make an impact and influence others for the kingdom of God because he made us to multiply. He made us to make a difference in other people's lives. He made us so that we could be used by him in order to touch the hearts of other people and to stimulate and stir their minds. to leave a legacy, if you will. In fact, all that Paul's talking about here, this is our spiritual legacy, folks. This is really at the end of our lives, and this is what we leave behind, is the people that we've touched. That's what our legacy is. And, and you know, we live in a world today where people want to be remembered. And so they build their own sort of kingdoms here on earth, and they put their names on buildings and stuff like that to be remembered. Listen, Jesus says, all that stuff's going to be destroyed one day. You want to be remembered throughout eternity? Then let me use you to touch other people's lives. Because then it goes on for generations. Then the lives that you've touched, guess what? They're in turn going to touch other people's lives. And then those lives are going to touch other people's lives. And it goes on and on and on, and it's never ending. You and I sit here at this moment in history 2,000 years after it started because somebody down through history was interested in running to win, not just to be in the race, but to make a difference with their life. And then, verse 6, the farmer, the farmer who works hard ought to have the first share of the crops. Farmer, and then go to these words, works hard. Listen, God doesn't hold anything back. He says, you want to be a disciple and make disciples? It's not going to be easy. 
It's going to be hard work. In fact, the words works hard here speaks about holding nothing back, giving his or her all. Some of you might be farmers or from a farming community or from a farming family. You know how hard it is to farm. It's an everyday thing. And, and people who are farmers, they don't shy away from hard work. They can't. They have a great work ethic. They get up every morning early and they get out there and they start working the fields and, and milking the cows and doing all the stuff on a farm that they need to do in order to maintain it. You can't be lazy and be a good farmer. You can't be complacent and be a good farmer. You've got to be somebody that's willing to put in the work. And today, especially because our culture is so influenced you know, the church and Christianity, we now have so many people in our generation of Christians who want to, to get the, the blessing and, and, and all of these things of God that only come through hard work. We talk about the world wanting handouts, and many times we as Christians are just as bad. We, we want, you know, the, the benefit and the success of, of of doing something, but not putting in a lot of effort to do it. And God is saying to us, you want to be a disciple of mine? Then it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for people who are shying away from hard work. It's going to take hard work every day to be a disciple, to follow me. It's going to be hard work to make disciples. It's not easy. There's going to have to be a lot of sacrifice involved, but it's worth it. It's worth it because anything that is really worthwhile in this life and in this world takes hard work and commitment to do it. So be understanding, Paul says. And then finally, verses 8 through the rest, he says, be mindful. Be mindful. Notice the first three words of verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Place at the forefront of your mind Jesus Christ. Prioritize in your thinking Jesus Christ. So appropriate on the day we're doing the Lord's table. Because what did Jesus say when he instituted communion? He said, do this in what? Remembrance of me. Remember me. Don't ever forget me. Keep me at the forefront of your thinking. Prioritize me in your mind. Paul says, you and I have to do that if we're going to be disciples. And we've got to do that if we're going to make disciples. And here's why. Notice he goes on to say, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David, human. Such is my gospel, my life-giving message that God entrusted to me to entrust to others, of which I suffer hardship hardship that accompanies all discipleship, to the point of imprisonment as a criminal. But listen, God's message is not in prison. There are guards coming to know the Lord through my imprisonment. There are fellow prisoners coming to know the Lord through my imprisonment. It might look like things are bad, but God is so much greater and bigger than the circumstances that we see. God's not defined by those circumstances. God just wants to see committed people that no matter what circumstances or situation we're in, we're shining for him. That, that's, we got to be mindful then of Jesus. So I endure. I stay the course 
for the sake of those chosen by God, that they too may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus and its eternal glory. Why do I need to be mindful of Jesus Christ at all times? Because Jesus is the only answer. There is no other answer than Jesus Christ. There's no other salvation in any other name given among men under heaven than Jesus Christ. There's no other one that can bring eternal glory to a soul. There's no other one that can transform a heart and a mind. Jesus Christ is it. If we don't remember Jesus Christ and why we're doing all this, then we will not stick in there with being a disciple, going through maybe all the hardship and suffering and pain that we're going through because we forget about Jesus and who we're really doing this for and that we're doing it for the sake of others as well because Jesus is their only hope. Jesus is their only answer. Again, there is no other gospel. There's only one. So then Paul goes on to say in verse 11 and 12 and 13, and this Jesus Christ, there's no one that you can count on or rely or depend upon more than him. If we die with him, we're going to live with him. If we endure and stay the course, we're going to reign with him. If we say no to him and deny him, then yeah, he'll say no. He won't force himself into our lives or on us. But if we are unfaithful, if we're doubting him, if we're unbelieving, he still remains faithful because he can't deny himself. Even when we're not faithful to him, Jesus will be faithful to us. So he says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Because everything that we are and everything we have is because he was willing to give up everything for us. And the road that he walked to Calvary, he walked alone. The road that he asks us to walk for him is always with him. He never leaves us or abandons us. In all of our suffering and pain and challenges and obstacles and all those things, he is right there with us. And Paul's also, I think, saying, remember Jesus Christ because of what he chose so that you won't grow weary and not continue to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and be interested and invested in making disciples. Jesus Christ chose to leave the glories of heaven to come to earth. Jesus Christ chose to take upon human flesh. Jesus Christ chose to be mocked and to be ridiculed and to be rejected. Jesus Christ chose to be beaten. Jesus Christ chose to be scourged and have his back laid open. Jesus Christ chose to have that crown of thorns pressed into his skull. Jesus Christ chose to have those nails pounded into his hands and his feet. Jesus Christ chose the cross for us. Remember Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave his all for us. He didn't have to. He could have stayed there in heaven and say, well, too bad for all of you. You're just going to die in your sin and go out into a Christless eternity without me, never knowing me or my love for you at all, never knowing my plan or purpose for you at all. He could have done that. But in love, he couldn't. He said, I'll give up everything I'll even give up my own life and I will sacrifice myself for you. And so Paul says, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, when we think, oh my goodness, I've sacrificed too much for Jesus. I've committed too much. You know, I've 
I've given up too much for Jesus. Paul says, all Timothy, remind your people, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. There was nothing that Jesus wouldn't do to open a way for us to have a relationship with him. All Jesus asks of us is to be committed to being his disciple and following him whatever his will is for our life. And part of that will is that we be involved in making disciples and allowing God to use our life to touch other people's lives for the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus Christ. If you and I want to be a disciple and make disciples, we've got to be strong, we've got to be wise, we've got to be understanding, and we've got to be mindful. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And as they come, I'm going to pray. And we're going to then get ready to have the elements of our communion passed out. Before we partake of communion today, let me just say a couple of things. And then I'll pray. One, the Lord's table is for believers. So if you're here today and you've never personally given your life to Jesus Christ, I would encourage you not to partake. This is not just for anybody. This is for those who've trusted Christ as their Savior. Secondly, when we do this today, I would like us to be mindful of our Lord and realize that all that he's done for us, are we willing to then embrace whatever he has for us? And as you and I sit there with those elements for just a moment before we all partake of them, let's be thinking about that as well. Remembering, too, that the road that he was on, he walked alone. The road that he will lead us on, we never walk alone. He's always there with us every step of the way. Father God, we thank you today that you give us the privilege and honor to be not only your child through faith in Jesus Christ, but a disciple, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, willing to follow you, Lord, wherever you lead us, God. You're the shepherd, we're just the sheep. And so, God, I pray today that as we follow you, we would be willing to be baptized. We would be willing to make disciples. We would be willing to be wise about our time investment on this earth that we would put our life into what really matters and not get entangled in things that aren't really going to matter. God, would you help us to do these things? May we not ever do them in our own strength, but in only the strength that you give us, God. And Lord, as we have these elements that symbolize your body and your blood in our hands for a few moments, God, may we remember you today. May we be mindful of you, God, and the sacrifice that you gave to us out of your great love for each of us today. May it inspire us. May it motivate us. May it encourage us, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.